Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, ma ba'd. So, inshallah, this morning, I want to share with you a uh, hadith from the Prophet, alayhi salatu wassalam. And uh, <clears throat> you could say this hadith um, has lots of the signs of the hour uh, compiled together. So you might see some of these narrations in different hadith, but this one in particular has combined, you could say, or has encapsulated uh, many of the uh, predictions, or you could say the uh, prophecies of the Prophet ﷺ. Of course, when we say Prophet, in fact, or Nabi in Arabi, because the word for Prophet in Arabic is Nabi, Nabi is from Tanabu, which is to prophetize, meaning to foretell the future. That's one of the meanings, at least. I mean, there are other meanings as well. So Nabi also comes from, uh, you know, Anubu'a, which is something that is high, because the prophet is uh, well-known, he's famous, he's uh, chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But one of the meanings of Nubu'a and Nabi is to tell the future. Uh, and this is an important uh, part of the Prophet uh, He would tell us events of the future. And this is one way to verify the truth of a Prophet, if his prophecies come true. Uh, no doubt, uh, the signs of the hour, and that's what we call them, usually scholars refer to them as, as Ashratu Sa'a, because that's what's mentioned in the Quran. Uh, the ashra, uh, which means not only a sign, but almost like a condition for the hour. Like the hour cannot happen without these events taking place. So these, uh, these events are actually uh, almost like a condition for the hour to happen. But they're also signs, meaning the more they happen, the closer the hour is. So that's also one of the meanings of sign is that it's a sign, a signal on the way. So the more signals you see, the more milestones you see, the more signs you see, the closer you get. And that's also to show us the importance of the hour. Because anytime you have something important, you need milestones on the way. If you, you're driving to, I don't know, a carnival, you start seeing these signs ahead of the way. So that kind of builds an expect, expectation, especially if you're a kid. It starts building expectation. You know, you know, this destination is 10 miles away, and then five miles away, and then three miles away. So these are signs, right? Likewise, these signs that happen across time, of course, in this case, they are, uh, you know, uh, reminding us of the hour, reminding us of the fact that the hour is getting closer and closer. So you can see there are multiple purposes of studying. We don't, I mean, some people study the signs of the hour as maybe uh, like almost like entertainment. Like, let's see what happens. And have you heard of this hadith, this outlandish thing that happens at the end of time? Uh, the other problem I see in this, other than it being taken as entertainment, is that some people want to take some hadith, which could be general in some cases, and they want to apply it to, uh, to uh, something very specific, like a very specific event 
or a very specific person even. So they say this hadith applies to, you know, I don't know, the occupation of Iraq, or specifically to this, you know, tyrant, or this dictator. If the hadith doesn't say it, if it's not clear about it, we should not impose something on the hadith. Let the hadith be, as we say. Let it be. Don't impose it. Don't put your words in, into it, your interpretation into it. Leave it as is. What if you're wrong? And many times, people make these predictions based on you know, some idea in their head. It doesn't come true. And now some people thought, well, this was the hadith of the Prophet. So we have to be careful. If the hadith is general, leave it at it. There could be multiple incidents that could be applicable to that hadith or that could be uh, an example or an instance of that narration. So you don't have to limit or to restrict the meaning of a sign to a particular event. <coughs> by the way, some of these signs will keep increasing in, in order of magnitude and, and level. So you might start with a, a small manifestation of it and then later as time progresses, you're going to see more and more of it. All right, it's a long hadith. I don't, these are just interruptions, so uh, I'll cover as much as I can. Like I said, you're going to see this uh, covered in m multiple narrations, but this one kind of covers almost a big, big territory. So this hadith is narrated by Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. We know Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman was the keeper of the secret of the Prophet, ﷺ. he kept many secrets. Um, and he narrated from the Prophet, ﷺ. he said, اقتراب الساعة he said, uh, the approach of the hour, the approach of the day of judgment is 72 events or 70, 72 khasla uh, is like a quality. So it does not have to be an event. It could be a behavior, a pattern of behavior that people exhibit. So it does not have to be an incident per se. Okay, so he said, If you start seeing people killing the prayer, well, how do you kill a prayer? Prayer is not a person, it's not a, it's not a being, like an animate being at least. Um, obviously it means that you don't, people don't guard it anymore. People don't, uh, you know, watch the times of the prayer. They might skip sometimes. They might totally miss it. They may not pray at all, as we see many people. I mean, now, if you look at Muslims, I mean, we start counting the number of Muslims. We say, you know, we're one point so billion Muslims. But if you look at the people who pray, it's not necessarily a big percentage. And especially if you go to Muslim countries, you can tell that a little better. Here you can hide. But Muslim countries, obviously, you can tell, I mean, I'm talking about uh, Muslim-majority countries, right? But you go to a prayer, to Salat, for example, in the masjid, you have a very, very small number. You might say, well, people pray home. Yes, of course. But people know, I mean, through their families, that some of their relatives, at least, don't pray. And again, I'm not saying go be a police and see who prays and who doesn't. I'm saying this is a phenomenon that is happening. So killing the prayer could be in different ways. It could be that 
people don't pay attention to it. It could be that you pray so quickly you don't comprehend what you're praying. People, uh, you know, pray uh, without any cognition of what prayer is. They just want to get, you know, get over with it. It's like a burden they want to, uh, you know, do and, and, and be done with. I don't know if we got to count. It's a long list. So first one is killing the prayer. Second one, Adha'ul Amana. So here they forfeit the trust. And trust could mean many things. And we're going to see examples of that. So one example of trust on a personal level is all your responsibilities. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entrusted you with your body, you take care of your body. If he entrusted you with a family, you take care of your family. So people, for example, fathers who abandon their, their families. And abandoning, again, could be leaving the family completely. You go live in a different country. It happens. I've seen it. But it also could mean that you don't pay attention to their upbringing. You, you, don't, you don't care if they're, they're brought up in an Islamic manner. You don't teach them the etiquettes. You don't give them any advice. And this happens a lot. I mean, why do you think we have so many disasters around us? I mean, this is part of it, not all of it. So the trust is anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entrusted you with. Of course, if you are a person in charge, like in charge of a, of a masjid, for example, uh, all the people who are in charge of masjids, you have to be careful because this is more responsibility now on your shoulder. If somebody's in charge of a, a country, that's even far more far more responsibility. Uh, Imam Suyuti in his book about Al-Khulafa, he narrates a story, Allahu alam, uh, I don't know the, uh, the authenticity, but he, he brings it in the book, and he said, um, somebody saw in a dream, I think, that he saw Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu and uh, Umar Khattab was like, uh, almost like sweating. And he asked him, what's going on? Uh, you are a just leader. He said, it's been like 10 years, and just now I'm, I was done with the questioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I'm just doing this as a comparison. If Umar, we consider the, the, maybe the most just leader in history, right? And if it took like 10 to 12 years, this is a dream. But again, this is just for analogy purposes. If it took 10 years to answer questions from Allah, that, that shows you how much responsibility a leader has, a, a, somebody in power. So imagine all these people now, all these governments, east and west, and all the types of oppression they commit. So this is about, uh, you know, <coughs> uh, forsaking the trust. Atta'u al-amana is to forsake the trust. Third, akal riba they eat usury. Uh, you know, now we say interest. I'm not going to go into the details and what is halal, what's haram. But in general, riba is forbidden. What is riba? I mean, in some cases, there might be some differences. But in general, riba is haram. It's one of the great sins. So people don't care, it means. It means that they keep eating uh, usury. In a different hadith that talks about uh, the signs of the hour, it says that Everybody will get a piece of riba, whether we like it or not. It says, if, even if you don't eat it, you'll get the dust of it. And I think this has come true. For
for certain. I mean, everybody now uses the bank. You cannot, you know, you cannot live without the bank. The banking system has intruded everybody's business. Um, you can't, I mean, no one keeps their money under the, the pillow anymore, right? You've got to use the bank. And we have all kinds of fatwas, but it is okay to use it for necessity, which is almost everybody, right? At least to keep the money so it's not stolen, right? So, akal uh, riba it becomes a, a, common, a common phenomenon. Okay. Number four, was tahallul kathib. Not only they lie, but they consider lying halal. Istahalla is to make something halal. There's a difference. I mean, people have lied always, right? We've known lying ever since we existed. It's part of human behavior. But to consider it halal, and when you say consider it halal, it means someone Muslim making it halal because a non-Muslim does not care about halal and haram. So obviously, we're going to have some Muslims who would make uh, telling lies halal. Uh, they would make it okay. It's no longer haram. And now we call it white lie, whatever we call it. I mean, white lie or whatever. Uh, it's still a lie. It does not make it uh, okay. I mean, there are very, very few exceptions. But the problem is when you make the exception the rule, that is a big problem. The vast majority of the time, I mean, uh, one time a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, is it possible, I, I love the questions of the companions, I mean they're very to the point. So he said, is it possible for the believer to be um, stingy? He said, yes, it is possible, I mean it is not recommended, but Human nature, right? Sometimes we're stingy. We're miser. He said, okay, is it possible for the believer to be a coward? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yeah, it is possible. Again, human nature. I mean, you cannot demand from everybody to be courageous. Uh, otherwise, we, we would have, all of you would be heroes. All of us would be heroes, right? Everybody would be a hero. But then he said, is it possible for the believer to be a liar. And the Prophet said no. no. No excuse for lying. You can't say it's human nature. You can do you can do something about it. I mean, even if you're let's say you're brought up in a in a in an environment where everybody was telling lies or they, they consider lying, and now we see it a lot. Uh, they consider lying lying a form of wit, wit or cleverness. Like if you don't know how to lie, you're not clever enough. You don't know how to maneuver your way around people. You're, you're kind of considered dumb or, or stupid, in fact. If you're not able to you know, fetch a lie on the, you know, on the spot. So that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so, but the Prophet said, you know, this is not, you know, you cannot say uh, that a believer can lie. You don't, uh, you know, Coincide, and the people when they, when they used to look at the Prophet ﷺ's face, they used to say, like they have not met him yet, like they've not interacted with him yet, and they would say, this is a face that cannot tell a lie, just by looking at his face. And the Arabs were so skilled at this, like they could look at someone's face, 
and they can learn a lot of things about you just by studying your face. This is a science. It's called firasa. Firasa is tafarasa is to stare at someone's face and study the face, and you can tell a lot about this man's behavior, qualities, whatever, traits. So they can look at the face of the Prophet and they can tell he's, he's not a face that can lie. He's not capable of lying. So one of the signs of the hour is that people will consider lying halal. For whatever justification they make. I mean, we always, we, we all can, still people consider lying bad in a way, so you feel guilty, but you always can justify it. Like we have to live, we have to, I mean, everybody around us is corrupt. We have to be able to, you know, be able to live in society. And blood becomes cheap. SubhanAllah, now among Muslims specifically, um, killing is like nothing. The easiest thing is to kill someone. I mean, look, every day we see, you know, uh, the casualties. Uh, the highest number of casualties are in Muslim countries. And it's usually Muslims killing Muslims. Regardless of what they choose to label each other, still considered, I mean, Muslims. But you see this, um, it's not just killing, again, it's the fact that they consider it uh, you know, it's not a big deal anymore. That's a problem that they consider it a small thing. It's like killing a fly. That's what the problem is. In fact, in a different hadith, the Prophet ﷺ tells us that uh, near the hour, near the hour, uh, people will be killed and they have no idea why they're killed. And the killer will have no idea why he's killing. And now we see it so clear. Like when people, uh, you know, uh, explode a car or themselves, they have no idea who they're going to kill. I mean, they, they have no idea who's going to come to the market in that time of the, hour, uh, time of the day. So exactly, the killer has no idea who he's killing, why he's killing, and the people who are killed have no idea why they were killed. It just happens that he was in the market at that time of the, hour, time of the day. الدماء and they uh, build high. So also is to seek. It's like to compete in how high buildings are. And subhanAllah, again, we see, I mean, this was not possible at the time of the Prophet to even think that people can build these high-rise buildings now. Like even in Mecca itself, maybe almost now the, the tallest buildings in the world could be there. Who would have thought? I mean, you sit in that hotel up there, it's like you're in a plane looking down at the Kaaba. So, istalaw um, is to compete in how high you can go, in high-rise buildings, skyscrapers we call them. Wabaru adina bidunya, and they sell the religion for something of this life, something cheap of this life. Well, so selling is about exchange, right? That's what selling has been about. Even before money, it was about exchange. 
So here there's some kind of transaction happening. Uh, so uh, you, you basically give away your religion in return for something else, something of this dunya. So apparently whoever, do, whoever does that, to them, whatever, uh, whatever they're getting from the dunya, to them is more valuable than what they're giving up. So that means, really what this means is that uh, deen becomes very uh, you know, cheap. Or people do not value their religion as much. So yeah, I'm born a Muslim, I associate myself with Muslims, I identify myself as a Muslim, but that's about it. I mean, does it have any value to me? Uh, am I willing to sacrifice for it? Not really. And anything that comes in my way that I could maybe substitute my deen for, I'll go for that. Family ties, family relationships will be cut off. We're going to see more of that later. But this is so true now. Recently, not too recent, I mean, um, maybe an, a year ago, I don't know, this, this video came up. It was, it came, became viral, I think, at least in the Middle East. On TV... Uh, we had, uh, there was a show, and it seems like there was a domestic, ex uh, domestic dispute. And there was the, the woman, uh, the, the wife, and the son. The husband was, husband was not there. And out of the blue, the, so the, I think the mom was speaking, she was telling her story. And out of the blue, the son stepped over, he was sitting on the other side of the table. He stepped on the table and he kicked his mom. On TV, on air, I don't know how, million, how many millions saw that. Um, and I don't know, maybe he was defending his father. I, I, I don't care what the excuse was. For this to happen, I mean, imagine, supposedly these people are Muslim. And to have the audacity to do it on live TV, he didn't care. I mean, that's, to me, maybe that's even worse. Like, so there's no remorse. There's no even... No feelings whatsoever. I mean, obviously you say, well, this is an extreme case, but I'm sure all of you are familiar with some cases, maybe not as bad. But you see this, uh, you know, cutting of family ties, let alone what happens between relatives. That's far worse. I mean, how many times you encounter cases where a man has not spoken to his brother for 10 years, 20 years? They don't speak to each other. I'm sure all of us are aware of certain cases like that. Let alone not talking to their uncle or their, I don't know, uh, nephew. Or, all these are family ties. وَيَكُونُ الْحُكْمُ ضَعْفًا وَالْكَذِبُ صِدْقًا وَالْحَرِيرُ لِبَاسًا So these three, uh, you want to lump them together. Basically here, the Prophet ﷺ is illustrating the fact that um, things will be reversed in reverse order. By the way, this is one of the, uh, maybe you could say one of the, oh, I don't know if this is the right word, arc signs. Like it's not just a sign, it's the pattern of the hour is, you're going to see a lot of things in reverse. So that's what, what it says here. So leadership and governorship will be a source of weakness, not a source of power. So it will be reversed. 
and al-kathibu sidqa and lying becomes the truth so falsehood turns into the truth and i don't have to say much but look at the media around you all types of media the ability i mean not, i'm not saying everything is like that but the ability you have the ability everybody now has the ability to spread false news to so many people across the globe i mean it's at your fingertip Think of Photoshop, think of, I mean, anything. You can make up news and spread it. People believe it. So he said, uh, uh, falsehood becomes the truth. And silk becomes the dress. The attire, you know, the, um, the attire or, or the, the dress of people. I mean, mostly here for men, obviously. What about, uh, you know, uh, governorship or, or power becoming a source of weakness? That could be interpreted in different ways. Usually, if somebody, if, if a, a governor or, a, or a, uh, anyone in power who is a tyrant, a dictator, that could be perceived as a source of weakness. It's not a source of strength. So that could be one, one of the meanings here. Because people won't like him. They will hate his guts, Right. So his source of power, usually the, the, the hakim, the leader, should be the support of his people. And by the way, don't, don't take this lightly. Even the worst dictator, like when uh, Assad was in power, the, the father, for example. I don't know much about I mean, I don't even follow the news anymore. They still made a point that when there was an election, they want to show that 99% voted for him. Why does he care? I mean, he's already in power. He's a tyrant. He does not care for it. But he want to show that he has public support. That's still important. Regardless. I remember even when they wanted, when he went out in, in the streets, he wanted to show that everybody was out there, you know, cheerleading him. Cheering him. And they basically either pay people or they force people to go out and cheer. All these people cheering, jumping, they're not wanting to do that. But they've either been forced or they've been paid. So dictators still care about that stuff. They want to see that, you know. You know they want to prove to people. They want to show others that I have public support. People like me. So when people do not like the leader, that's a weakness in the leader. I don't care how much strength they have, you know, how much power they have. This is a big weakness. And everybody knows it, including them. They realize that. They know that. Okay. وَظَهَرَ الْجَوْرِ And oppression becomes apparent. And becomes commonplace. I mean, oppression has always existed. Zahar, it's like it becomes so apparent. Zahar is to come to the surface. This is why Zahar is called Zahar. Because, uh, you know, if, if somebody attacks you, you, you kind of bend like this, right? This is the area you protect. This is the area that is, uh, that is uncovered, that is exposed, basically. Your back is always exposed. That's why you always want to protect the back. And that's why we call it Zahar, from Zuhur. It's apparent, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's exposed. Okay? So, ظهر الجور وكثر الطلاق 
and divorce becomes so common. This, by the way, has happened only in, in recent years, I mean, among Muslims. It was unheard of. And you, you can look at your uh, you know, father generation, your forefather, I mean, the grandfather generation. This was unheard of. Muslim couples never discuss divorce. I'm not saying it's haram. I mean, in some cases, it's necessary, right? Islam never uh, banned or, or prohibited divorce. It was not common. And now you go, you talk to people, they're, they've been married for 30, 40, 50 years, and they're talking about divorce. Or maybe the, you know, the, the husband fell for a younger lady or something like that, or the wife even. And it's becoming common in here in the West and the East. I mean, I, 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 I know like villages in the Middle East. I mean, these were very conservative. We're not talking about the city. A city usually is more open and liberal. Talk about some villages. And these things are happening. This was unheard of. So kathur al-talaq is when you, see, when you see divorce become so common. وَمَوْتُ الْفُجَاءَ And sudden death. SubhanAllah, now again we see, I mean, uh, cardiologists are the most busy people now. The, I mean, the sedentary life we lead, the fact that we, we sit all the time. Most jobs now are, uh, you know, uh, desk jobs, right? You sit behind a desk. Again, this is not, you know, uh, this is not uh, something that's been happening for too long. I mean, maybe a century, maybe two centuries, but before that, people walked. They worked in the fields. They, there was activity all day. You move, you, uh, you walk the mo most of the time. Sitting was a luxury, by the way. To, have, to find a chair and sit on it, not maybe only kings at one time did it, right? But the common people, you can, I mean, you sit on the floor if you have to. It's not very comfortable. Now, uh, you know, the chair is like the, the symbol of our civilization. We sit home, we sit in the car when we go to work or we go anywhere else. When we get, even on vacations, when we get to the destination, we want to sit. You've been sitting all, all day and you want to, still want to sit. You go to work, you sit everywhere. But anyway, that's only part of it. Motul Fuja is sudden death. So uh, you have lots of you know, modern diseases like strokes and heart problems, heart attacks, uh, and other types. But this is sudden death, meaning that you just drop dead or you, uh, you go to sleep, you never wake up. So again, here you're going to see this uh, out of order uh, or, or this uh, reverse order. You're going to see it says, So the trustworthy will be considered not worth of any trust. He'll be considered treacherous, like he's not worthy of trust. And al-kha'in becomes trustworthy. So it's totally the opposite. The one who can pull more tricks, he's the one who is to be trusted now. And the one who's honest, trying to lead an honest life, he'll be considered not worth of any trust.
Likewise, the one who tells the truth will be considered a liar. And the one who tells lies becomes the truth teller. And qadf is to accuse someone of something. So you can basically lay a false accusation on someone and it will go through. People will believe it. It will fly. And qadf, it also has some specific uh, meaning in Islam. It means also when uh, someone accuses a believing woman, mostly, and even believing men, when they accuse them of fahisha, of a, a, great sin, a grave sin, such as uh, adultery. So that is called qadf. Qadf is to accuse, and qadf means to throw, because you're basically throwing an accusation at someone. Uh, so that is qadf. So it says also this accusations, or these accusations becomes commonplace. وَكَانَ الْمَطَرُ and uh, rain becomes a source of uh, punishment or wrath. I mean, we have seen some evidence of that, like, you know, in some cases, uh, acid rain. Some cases, also rain uh, becomes like a hurricane and, and destroys, right? Like we see in Florida all the time, these hurricanes. So it says, al-matar, the, uh, you know, rain, which is supposed to bring... Um, sustenance to people, it becomes a source of wrath and punishment. And the, and the child becomes a source of غيظ. And غيظ is extreme anger. Meaning that children will make their, their parents angry. So that means children who do not listen, children who are so hard to control, yada, yada, yada. And... Uh, Obviously, we gave an example already about uh, disobedient uh, children. But the point here is that children becomes a source of uh, trouble. In the old days, obviously, children were uh, a source of pride. And alhamdulillah, inshallah, now I, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make all our children a source of pride and uh, that they, they are pious. Uh, but this is talking about a general pattern. By the way, the connection between uh, parents and children is not the same anymore. You don't have that strong bond. And we talk about the, this generation gap. That this did not exist in the past. I mean, think about it. I mean, many, many respect. In one respect, people of old, like if you were a, a child of a farmer, most likely you're going to be a farmer. If you're a child of a carpenter, you're going to be a carpenter. Uh, so there was this uh, solid connection between the parent and the child. They're together all the time. Do you now see any, I mean, you, you might see it sometimes, but rarely you see a child willing to sit with their parents. There's no communication. Even if they sit, they're talking across each other. There's no conversation. It does not exist. It's either the, the dad is telling the kid what to do, like there's some amount of anger and, uh, you know, or the child is, you know, crying or, or complaining about something, but there's no real conversation. So one part of it, by the way, is the education system, because, I mean, to be honest, when this, uh, I mean, the school system came about, it gave everybody the opportunity to break away 
from the tradition of their fathers. So for example, if your father and your grandfather and great-grandfather were carpenters, now you have an opportunity to become a psychiatrist. You go to school, you study psychiatry or psychology, whatever, right? This was not <laughs> heard of before. It was not common in the past. I mean, that maybe contributed a little bit, but mostly it's because we were, we're seeing so many changes. Changes were not common in the past. I mean, I'm talking about drastic changes, like technology is a huge, we call it interruption. It's interrupting the, the human uh, psyche. I mean, just one thing. The invention of the, uh, the pill, the pregnancy pill, well, the contraception pill. That one invention may, had so many ripple effects. The reason you see many women working today is because of it, to be very honest. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, look at the effect of one small invention. You think it's small. In fact, a lot of the adultery and fornication that happens today is because of it. Because this was not possible in the past. People had many more considerations in the past. Like, I don't want to get pregnant and there's no way to stop it. Now you can stop it. So because of all these drastic changes that we're not able to comprehend, we're way ahead of ourselves. Like the human technology and the human uh, inventions and the sciences are way ahead of our human intellect or human, uh, I should say, uh, psychology. We're not able to cope. We're not able to keep up with it. We're dragging behind. But the point here is that because of that, you see many, many changes. And the Prophet ﷺ in a different hadith talked about uh, how time will go faster. Well, that's one aspect of it. The fact that you see many, much more happening in the same time, in the same week, the same hour, you see many more changes. I mean, you don't recognize who you were 20 years ago when you were without a phone, without a mobile phone. Can you even function without it now? Can you drive without it? You feel less, you feel like you're insecure if you drive without a cell phone. Everybody drove without nothing. I mean, there wasn't even, <laughs> even a payphone around. And people were fine. By the way, tell me where to stop because this is a long hadith. I don't intend to finish all of it. So when is a good time to stop? 7.40. 40? Really? Okay. Good? Uh, 7.40 is good, everybody? Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we don't go to sleep. Or... So we can do okay. Seems like everybody is still paying attention. Uh, maybe it's a good, good topic. But All right. Maybe next time I'll finish it if you invite me next time. And, uh, because we're only like... Just started. No, no, not, no, we're making some progress. It's not bad. Uh, so we're here, right? And we still have to be here. So let you know. There are going to be some questions now. Oh yeah, so we should leave, uh, I totally agree. So why don't we stop like 7.30 and then 10 minutes for questions? Yeah. Okay. okay. You're willing to wear a stand of love, no problem. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks though for the wonderful advice. Wow, it's a strong one. So la'im, it's hard to translate. La'im is the opposite of karim. And we all know karim. Everybody knows Karim, I hope. Karim is someone who is generous. So Laim is the opposite. Someone, it has also a subtle meaning in Arabic. It's not just someone who is not generous. It means someone who you, uh, you are, uh, you, you uh, do some favors to. 
and he's not able to recognize it. That's a la'im. So he's like an ingrate, you could say. Ungrateful person. That is la'im. He's not only not generous, but he is not grateful to the generous. So he said, Those types of people, let's call them ingrates. He said, they will be so many in numbers. They will flood the earth. Imagine, like, this is exactly, if you want to translate this literally, وَفَاضَ is to uh, flood. Is for the cup to overflow. Fada is to overflow. So here he's saying these types of people will overflow. They'll be uh, so many in number. وَفَاضَ الْلِئَامُ فَيْضَ وَغَاضَ الْكِرَامُ غَيْضَ Ghada is the opposite of fada. Ghada is for the water to disappear. If you, in, if you know in the Quran, uh, in the story of Nuh, Ghida is the same word here. Because at the end of the flood, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the earth to absorb the water, to take the water back. Ghida al it disappeared, uh, the earth took the water. Likewise here, غاضة, الكرام غيضة, is for the, for the generous people to disappear. So one of the signs of the hours, one of the signs of the hour is that the generous people will disappear. Meaning they become uh, few in number. They're not going to be so common. You're not going to see them too much around you. So you're going to see a lot of greed and a lot of selfishness. That's really the, in, uh, the indicator here. وَغَاضَ الْكِرَامُ غَيْضًا وَكَانَ الْأُمَرَاءُ فَجَرَةً وَالْوُزَرَاءُ كَذَبًا وَالْأُمَنَاءُ خَوَنَةً وَالْعُرَفَاءُ ظَلَمَةً وَالْقُرَّاءُ فَسَقَةً I mean, these are like five or four. Yeah, five, but I mention them together because they rhyme and because they're similar. So let, let's go through those. First, he said, وَكَانَ الْأُمَرَاءُ فَجَرَةً The princes, meaning the leaders or the people in charge, Amir usually is the highest, in the old days, at least, uh, Amir is considered the command, commander-in-chief, let's say. That's an Amir. So he said, Al-Umara'u Fajra. And Fajra is to be oppressive. Wal-Wuzara'u Kathaba. And the ministers under, so under the Umara, under the Amir, or the, the commander-in-chief, you're going to have the minister. These people will be liars. So there is a t- distinction because the person who has Unlimited power, they oppress. They don't care. The minister is slick, right? They know their, limit, their power is limited or is checked by the one above them. So they implement something else. They implement trickery and lying. Okay? So these are the ministers. We already mentioned that. The umana are the, the, like, you could say, the treasurers. The people who are in charge of trusts. And here in the context, it could be the people who are in charge of the treasury. Because that is the biggest trust of a country. The treasury of the country. If these people who are in charge of the, the money, these people are untrustworthy. Khawana. Al-Urafa is a smaller uh, post, if you will. So those could be the law enforcement and people like that. And these people are plain... Uh, transgressors. They're not, they're not at the same level as someone who is Amir. Right? They don't call the shots. 
but they are doing it. They are implementing that, right? Uh, I, I remember there was an incident, I think, uh, it happened to Ibn Taymiyyah. He was in prison. He was in prison for a long time, um, multiple times. And uh, one time, it seems one of the guards felt guilty. So he came to him and said, Am I considered from A'wanul Dhalama? Because there's a hadith from the Prophet والسلام, warning, uh, warning us not to help a Dhalama. A Dhalama is the oppressors, right? So he asked him, Am I from the supporters of oppressors? He said, No, you're not. You are from the oppressors. I mean, if you're torturing people, I mean, these people who are in charge of prisons, especially in Muslim countries, you see the, the torture is so commonplace now. So that's exactly what this is talking about. Al-Urafa are these people in charge of prisons and in charge of you know, these things, and they're leading the, the torture that happens. They, they see it, they witness it, they commend it. So the, you know, the president may not see it directly. I mean, I'm sure he's aware of it, and he might commend it indirectly. But these people inside, they see everything. So these are al-Urafa. Wal-Qurra'u fasaqa. That's a tough one. Qurra is a plural of Qari. We all know Qari. Qari is a reciter of Quran. But here the Prophet said, والسلام, and the reciters will be fasaqa. Fasaq uh, is someone who, who is an open sinner. So they don't hide their sin. Fasaqa is a plural of fasiq, we said. How can that be? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it could be different ways. I mean, it could be that uh, Qaris will seek uh, dunya, for example. So in order to recite the Quran, they want some benefit. And that is different from teaching Quran, because obviously if you're a teacher, especially a full-time teacher, you need a compensation, you need some salary, so that's okay. But the difference here is that if you're requiring, like you go to a masjid and you want uh, not just money, the recognition, for example, for your recitation. So obviously that is opposite to uh, sincerity. So that could be part of it too. If qira'ah, if, if reciting Quran becomes a trade almost, and you see it a way to get famous and to get recognized and to climb the social uh, you know, ladder, that could be what it is here. So now the Quran is used as a means to attain a goal, a, a worldly goal. So that could be part of it. And it's just that this, this time, I mean, this, you know, this uh, era, there, there is more possibility for that. There are more venues to do that. I mean, think now, anybody can record their voice and uh, you, know, you can spread it around and you become a very famous Qari. Uh, so there's a lot of temptation, I'm saying. Of course, there are a lot of sincere Qari, no doubt. But he's saying here, the Prophet Islam, that the, uh, the, the trade of Qira'ah becomes common and people want it for the sake of dunya. I mean, that could be one possibility here. <coughs> According to some schools, you could say also shaving the beard, although this is controversial, because this is so apparent though. Uh, if somebody who is representing Islam, and, and I mean, qira'ah is one way to represent Islam, to uh, recite Quran, 
Uh, and if you go with the opinion that shaving the beard is physical, because it's, the reason it's physical is because everybody can see it, that's why. It doesn't mean necessarily that's a major sin, but because everybody could see it. So from, and we have seen many Qari who are clean shaven. Again, I'll put that in, a, in quotation marks, but this could be also a, a possible interpretation here. وَإِذَا لَبِسُوا مُسُوكَ الضَّأْنِ قُلُوبُهُمْ أَنْتَنُوا مِنَ الْجِيفَةِ وَأَمَرُوا مِنَ الصَّبْرِ He said, even if they were to wear the skin of sheep, because the sheep is so like uh, humble. If you want to define humility, you say the sheep. So he said, these people are wearing the skin of sheep. I mean, all the, all the above. The, the princes and the ministers and the treasurers and all of these people. They want to look so nice in front of people. You see an interview with the, one of these tyrants? Oh, wow, they sit so nicely. They speak softly. And you think they're angels. So they wear these uh, uh, sheep clothing. But he said, But their hearts... They stink, it says. Antan is like, nothing is to stink. And it says, it stinks worse than the corpses. I mean, you can't get close to a corpse if, if it's, you know, decomposing, right? He said, their hearts stink worse than that. So you, you see this dichotomy. On, on the outside, it looks so nice and appealing. And this is why many people now still support uh, dictators, tyrants. Look at Syria, Yemen, anywhere you look. You do find Muslims supporting them up till now. And part of it is because of this deception. You know, massive deception. And they employ all the media, every possible tool available to do that. And hence, people perceive them as angels. And they defend them to death. But inside, subhanAllah, it's the opposite. قلوبهم أنتنوا من الجيفة وأمروا من الصبر أمر من المرارة يعني it's bitter more bitter than صبر صبر is uh, well in, in Arabic صبر is the, the cactus uh, it has I think some types of it might bear some fruit that is bitter I, I'm not totally qualified to talk about that but um, that's what it usually means it's like uh, an example we use in Arabic أمروا من الصبر it means it's so bitter, more bitter than this fruit. Uh, so he will, because of all this, all these transgressions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inflict them with a fitna. Fitna is some confusion. And this is what we see now, it's all confusion. Seven thirty. I should stop. I should uh, stick to my word. So we'll stop. We're kind of halfway through. <coughs> We're right here. So yeah, that's pretty good. Good stop. I'll stop here. It's a long hike. It's a very long hike, yeah. I know, it's a cliffhanger, but maybe for next time. Right. So I'll stop here, inshallah, if you have any questions. I'm not commenting on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not just him. It's not him, it's all over the world. All over the world. And uh, I think you see different manifestations of it because some people are so blunt 
But sometimes I'm more worried about the slick. As, as we you know, saw in the hadith also, that some people play tricks also. Uh, especially those who wear the skin of a sheep. So some people wear the skin of wolves and they don't care. And we have good examples of those. But I think I'm more worried about the, the sheep. Okay, I, I have one thing here. I agree every word which has been uh, said by you. But I want to know what is the conclusion. Because before Kama, high-rise buildings, people are going to construct tall buildings. What is the conclusion or what is the corrective action which we as an individual or we as a woman can take? That's a very good, very good question and it relates to all of the signs, not just one. And the question is, what do we do about it then? Okay, great, now we know about it. I, I mentioned a, a bit of it in the beginning. Uh, some of the, we call benefits from studying this. Uh, first of all, uh, it is really important to uh, put things into perspective because I, I think I still see up till now many Muslims being uh, shocked all the time. They're in a state of shock. Like, Akhi, the Prophet told you 1400 years ago, Stop being, I mean, okay, it's okay to be in shock for a bit, but to be in a constant state of shock. So this hadith or these hadith gives you some heads up, let's call it. It gives you some time to prepare, especially mentally, to be prepared mentally. Like, yes, people will hate you, so what? It's fact of life. You know, you gotta live with it. So part of it is getting us to be prepared. And not to be in a state of shock, because if you're in a state of shock, you cannot act. You're going to be paralyzed. This is a human uh, nature. Especially in a fir at first, you, you're going to be uh, like frozen. Uh, so, but we cannot be like that forever. Uh, so this is one, uh, one part of it. Uh, another part, obviously, especially when it talks about things that are not necessarily evil. I mean, having high-rise buildings is not evil in itself. In that case, I think the best benefit is to, uh, sh well, to, it will increase our belief in the Prophet, first of all, because his words came true. And in fact, this is part of his Prophet. So be, it's fulfilling his mission as a Prophet, the fact it, that what he told came true. Uh, so it serves also to, uh, uh, when you talk to others, the people ask you, what is, the proof that Islam is true. I mean, this is a good one to, and, and you have to have some good knowledge, so it's not just one thing, you could basically say the sum of all of this. Can we analyze uh, what prophecies are, which are not under con our control, which are under control? Suppose, uh, like high-rise buildings, which is not in my control. More divorces, children becoming, you know, disobedient to parents. If we analyze and divide, Okay, we have to be polite with our spouses. We have to be, you know, good, or we have to have contact with each other. If we analyze and <coughs> segregate what is in our control, what is not in our control, at least the society or the community will be benefited. What, which are under our control, which we can take care of. Um, okay, uh, the question is, can, uh, can we classify those signs or maybe break them up to maybe certain things that are under our control, uh, maybe we can do something about, and things that are totally not in our control, like high-rise buildings, 
And I don't know if uh, the others are more, if we're in control of the others, uh, maybe you are under the perception that we are in control. So for example, I mean, the fact that we have a generation gap, like I said, it's not only because of our behavior. It's because of many other things that are happening that we cannot stop. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot do anything about it. Yeah. Of course, we should try our best. And we do see ex good examples of, for example, obedient children or good, good uh, uh, husbands and wives and so on. But the Prophet, again, was talking about the, uh, the, the common man or, or the average person, let's say. Uh, so, but still, uh, you know, it, it does help when you, when you see that, oh, this much evil will happen, and it, it'll, it'll be worse in the future, maybe I'll take some steps now to maybe make it a little better. Absolutely. So, for example, you might say, well, I'm not seeing, uh, this already happened, but let's say somebody in the past have said, I'm not yet seeing that children are disobeying their parents, but you know, since it's going to happen... Let's plan for, you know, at least for my family or maybe for my town or something like yeah. that. I mean, we can't stop it because we know it is predicted. It will happen. But maybe we can improve my own uh, surrounding, my own environment. Yeah, so to touch base on that, a lot of times people think that they can change things for other people. But the thing is, you have to look at yourself and change yourself first. And then what will happen is it'll outwardly affect others, inshallah, mm -hmm. depending on how you change yourself. Because you can't control others. You can control yourself pretty much. Absolutely. You know, your thoughts, your actions, things like that. And then others will see it as an example. For example, you know, as, as, us as Muslims and how we carry ourselves, especially if we have a thobe on and we're outside in public representing Islam, people will look at that and go, okay, so what he does is what Islam is about. Because some people will look at what's on TV Mm -hmm. We've been in so many situations to where my uh, family and I have had to really show the world that, hey, this is what Islam is about, not what you see on TV. You know, my wife was in, uh, and I were in Home Depot, and an older gentleman came up to us, or came, was walking by us and saying something about, uh, just out of nowhere, cares, uh, terrorist organization, or Muslims killing Muslims, things like that. My wife looked at me, she's like, you got this? Because she's told me before I married her, that people come up to her all the time. She's all covered and they say things. I was like, I wish something like that would happen, you know. But so I said yes. And so I started to ask this gentleman, do you know about care? Do you know about this? Because in my mind, I'm thinking like two different ways. I'm from Brooklyn. Am I going to give him the Brooklyn version? Mm -hmm. or, or what would Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu do? You know, because a lot of time people see what's on TV and they think that that's Islam. So in that short second or period of time, I had to start asking him questions and not make him think that what he sees on TV is a slap. So that's that's pretty much, and, and at the end of the conversation, he had tears in his eyes trying to shake my hand. And my wife was in tears already, so we had him kicked out, and unfortunately, because it's like people think that they can get away with saying anything, you know. But at the same time, it's like we have to really look at ourselves first if we want outside to change and see what we can do. Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, in fact, the khutbah I'm given this month is all about that. So, very good. 38, we have two more minutes. Any more questions? Question. Yes, go ahead. No, that one is not a question, actually. That this sign of the hour mm -hmm. is important, but then we didn't mention the one that was 
given by the Sunil Sahasana, the last question was, what is the sign of? Yes. But that was a very comprehensive hadith. Mm -hmm. And we didn't discuss all that one. 